Hello and welcome to Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information to help you achieve a successful retirement. I'm your co-host, John McComb, with more than half a century of award-winning broadcasting experience. It's my pleasure to join Lori Pinkowski every two weeks for Ready, Set, Retire. Lori is an award-winning and highly respected portfolio manager and senior vice president at Canaccord Genuity, who has been successfully managing retirement portfolios for over two decades. We're here to talk about everything from financial and estate planning to travel, hobbies and health matters and so much more. Whether you're thinking about your retirement or already living your retirement dreams, Ready, Set, Retire is for you. And Lori, in life, there are many uncomfortable questions to ask and conversations to be had. Those associated with money and finances are perhaps the most difficult for a person to open up about. However, in marriage, there is no way to avoid the subject of finances. It's one of the primary causes of stress in relationships. Uh, The repercussions of not talking about our finances can be severe with negative consequences to health, wealth, and happiness. Yikes! Uh, It is important that you and your partner are on the same page, and this involves clear and open communication about your goals and values, especially when it comes to your finances. So today on Ready, Set, Retire, we will be talking about some conversations you should have with your partner to effectively manage your finances and how your financial advisor may be able to help. You know, John, everyone has a different relationship with money. Personal beliefs around money is influenced heavily by your upbringing. And it's rare that a couple will have the exact same ideas on how to spend or to save or about risk or investing. And even after being together for many, many years, your attitude towards money may be different from your partner, and that's fine. It's just really important that you don't ignore the differences. It's important to communicate openly and frequently about your finances and your goals and retirement and all those important things. So so this is what today we're going to be talking on Ready, Set, Retire. So I'm excited about that, John. All right. Well, let's start at the beginning. Why do you think it's important for communication between partners when it comes to finances? Yeah, talking to your partner about finances might not be the most romantic conversation, you know, when you're going on your Friday night date. But understanding your partner's financial mindset can really help deepen your relationship, I feel, improve things at home. And, you know, by being proactive about communication, what I mean by that, it's best to discuss financial needs and wants before they reach a boiling point. It's it's a good idea not to hide finances as well. And really discuss big ticket purchases together. I, I feel that's also important. You know, if you can handle problems before any critical point, you're less likely to feel pressured into making any big decisions quickly. And you can think on it a little bit better. Addressing financial issues and asking questions regularly will really help you make sound financial decisions together. And even if you and your partner keep your finances separate, which I do see often, sometimes it's just to keep the peace at home. Sometimes it's a second marriage. There's all different reasons. Even if you are keeping your finances separate, it's still important to to discuss things along the way, just in, in case something unexpected comes up that you might be able to kind of make a decision better together should you understand what each person kind of has 
And so that's where I see that open communication is the best idea in order to maintain a healthy relationship, especially with your finances. What are some of the things that people should be mindful of regarding finances in a relationship? Well, I think in creating a kind of a financial life together, you want to make sure that both partners feel respected and their opinions are valued. I can't say how important that is. So having equality in the relationship, not just in life, but also in terms of finances, that you and your partner should have an equal say in financial decisions. Um, sometimes a partner who makes more money believes that they should have the final say in financial decisions. And I'm not sure that is totally right. Sometimes it's the partner who is better at managing money that also makes the final call. And if the imbalance is not equalized, both partners may end up with hurt feelings. They lack the ability to make decisions together, and it kind of tears them apart a little bit, John, right, instead of bringing them back together. So, again, it's important to listen to what your partner has to say and find out if there's a reasonable compromise as both partners must be on the same page, especially with spending, I would say. One may want to spend more, one may want to spend less. I see that often when we're reviewing financial plans. And if not discussed, that can lead to some resentment, uh, you know, I've seen as well. And so I think it's really important if you can't communicate together about your goals or wants or needs, then bring in that third party. Lean in on your financial advisor, your financial team to kind of help you with that or or a lawyer or accountant or whoever is that trusted third party. And that may make that communication be a little bit better going forward. The idea that the partner who makes more money believes they should have the final say, to me, that's very much a guy thing. That's very like men do that. I don't know that women so much do that, but I know that uh, from personal experience that <laughs> that men do that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that things are changing, John, all the time, right? I mean, women in many households are now making more than their husbands. And so the question is, is how does that all work nowadays? Because things are, are evolving. And again, I think it's important to have that communication. And also, who's better with money, I think, too, right? Maybe they should be making the final decisions on what to be spending. Because, you know, if somebody likes to spend more than the other and likes to spend on all sorts of things, then maybe the other should be making those final decisions. So looking back, it was usually the man that was kind of earning more. But now things are changing. And many women are earning more than their spouse. And so from that point of view, again, that conversation about money and decisions is also could be a little awkward if you, if you don't concentrate on it and focus on it and, and uh, help your spouse through it. Uh, when you talk about transparency with finances uh, in a relationship, what do you mean about what's transparency look like? So I would say like information about finances should be shared openly. That doesn't mean you have to merge all your assets if they are separate. You can still have areas of privacy. You know, I think even when I've seen one spouse earn more than the other, I've seen sort of a paycheck go into the lower income spouse's account, bank account, right? So that, you know, they feel like they have money to spend on whatever they want and they don't have to ask for it, which I think is super, super important. And I think that with transparency, also what I've seen that sometimes there's a spouse that decides to have a separate bank account or investment account that they don't tell one of don't tell their spouse about. It's not to be deceitful at all. It's more just to have this like safety cushion of money just in case, right? Just in case the world ends. Don't worry, honey. I've got $50,000 in this bank account you didn't know about. 
so I often see that as well. But, you know, the spouse that didn't know about it may not t- take that well to, to that sort of information. So, you know, it is best to say, you know, I've got this account over here at this other bank or investment account, and that's our cushion just in case things fall apart, you know, in the world. And I'm going to have this cushion for us. So don't worry, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've talked about this before. It's important that you and your partner are on the same page when it comes to finances. What are the questions you should ask your partner, especially when it comes to investing? Because uh, as we've uh, talked about before, sometimes, usually perhaps, one person is kind of in charge of investing and the other may or may not have any kind of interest in it. But what are the questions that you should be asking the partner who is in charge of the investing? So the first question to ask each other is how comfortable are each of us with risk or or volatility, I should say, too, right? Risk and volatility aren't always one and the same. So ask yourself, you know, these questions, how you feel about it. You know, what keeps me up at night when I think about money is a good one. Was I stressed out during previous market corrections? Would I feel upset if my portfolio was down a certain amount in value? I wouldn't ever say, you know, my portfolio was down. Would I be upset? Because there's, if you're invested in stocks or funds, you're going to experience some sort of correction at some point in time. It's impossible to not experience a downturn. So again, I think it is important that couples are speaking to each other, asking one another these important questions so that the financial advisor, when setting up a portfolio, understands that each person is still an individual and they may not have the same beliefs about portfolios, risk, all those sorts of things, investing, spending. So again, when I'm sitting down across a table from a couple, I am definitely asking each one of them, trying to draw both into the conversation, even if one clearly speaks more than the other or understands the markets more. It's vital that I understand both points of view in terms of their relationship with money, how they feel about volatility, so that we can create the proper portfolio and also explain it to them in the way that they understand. So if couples have uh, different appetites for risk, how do you as a financial advisor sort that out? What do you do? Yeah, it's definitely not uncommon to see that. I would say I see that with most couples. They're not usually on the same page in terms of volatility. And the way that we look at it is talking to each one as an individual instead of just as a couple all the time. How would you feel? You know, and then ask the other partner how they would feel. The portfolio came down a certain amount at a certain time. And then what we would do is create the portfolios that are in either of their names. It would reflect those values or fears about investing. So for instance, if one spouse wanted to see less volatility in their portfolio, then they may have more conservative portfolios or accounts that will be under their name. And for the spouse that doesn't mind seeing more volatility, they may have, for example, no exposure to bonds at this time because they're comfortable and maybe knowledgeable with the markets. You got to treat everybody as an individual. Everybody's unique. You have to understand their feelings and create portfolios that make sense for them. And also uh, setting realistic expectations of what you're going to see in terms of returns. Yeah, setting realistic expectations is so important. And in terms of returns, I often say to people, you know, what you should expect is somewhere between 6 and 9% annually over a 5-10 year period. And now, because I've been doing this for so long, uh, over 20 years, and I've had clients with me, some of them over 15 years, 17 years even, when looking at the long-term historical average, who did 9%, who did 6%? Well, 9% are people who didn't own a lot of bonds, if any, could handle market volatility and never panicked. And the people who were on the lower end of the return spectrum 
are people that definitely needed to have more in fixed income along the way, or even some GICs. They were more conservative. They could have been warriors and or they could have panicked during any of the market sell-offs over the last 20 years and made a wrong decision for themselves. And so one spouse may be comfortable and only want 6% return, where the other may want a higher return. We have to reflect that when creating those portfolios and managing them for both partners. It's great that you can accommodate different risk tolerances when it comes to investing to try to keep everybody happy. But the other thing that couples do stress about sometimes when it comes to their finances is their spending. How would you recommend talking about money when it comes to spending and perhaps one is a spender and the other is is not so much? How do you deal with that? I see that often. I can't tell you how often I see it. And it doesn't matter how much money somebody has in their portfolio. For example, You may have somebody that has $2 million in their portfolio, but doesn't like to spend, and they're quite frugal, where the partner may want to spend and go, you know, what's the point of having this money if I can't buy a business class ticket or whatever it might be that floats their boat or buy a new car or whatever it is. The majority of our clients are very frugal. So even the person that is the bigger spender is not really a big spender, in in my opinion. And what's important that I often say to people is that, okay, so... If you don't spend the money, you either gift it away or because you can't take it with you. And so you either spend it or you give it to other people because it's not going with you when you turn into an angel. And what happens is that people have been so tight with the purse strings kind of through retirement that we have a lot of clients that are in their late 80s and 90s that will have pretty big estates once they pass. And they didn't mean to possibly give that much money to their beneficiaries. They just didn't want to spend it. So and it's important to have those conversations about spending, what's reasonable. That's why, again, we do a financial plan so that we can tell people on paper, listen, this is what you want to spend. Your portfolio allows you to spend this much. And in fact, you might be able to spend a little more. And a lot of people, if they don't want to spend more, then we say, okay, well, maybe early inheritance to adult children might be a good way to kind of move some of that money out of your portfolio. But again, spending, whether it's renovations, buying a cabin, traveling, all those sorts of things, we have so many conversations with our clients about that. I always find it interesting. And I do think that opposites do attract, John, especially in the spending arena. I bet you do. But how much does a financial plan provide clarity for where people are headed in terms of their spending? Because I would think that the financial plan would kind of give them a pretty firm idea of how much they can spend or where they can spend it. Definitely. The financial plan is the map to retirement. And so it's going to tell us, yeah, you could spend this much and you're going to have this much at the end of your days and so on. But again, we're using assumptions a lot of the time. We're using a certain return, certain inflation. Taxes have to come into account as well. So you definitely want to have a financial plan, but it's also important that's not one and done. So we update financial plans whenever there's big life decisions to be made or life changes happen. So for example, death of a spouse or say downsizing uh, of your home, or you want to gift money again to adult children to buy their own first home, whatever that big decision is that we're able to update the financial plan and again, give clarity. And we're also very conservative with these financial plans. We're not trying to 
you know, tell people you can spend a whole bunch of money and go back to work when you're 85 years old. That's not, <laughs> that's not ideal, right? You don't oh, want, I'm glad to hear that. You don't want to be a greeter at Walmart at 85 unless you do and you're trying to keep busy. Who knows? But our job is to make sure that you have enough money to last you until the end of your days, whether that's through, again, proper portfolio management, risk management. That's very important when you're dealing with retirement funds. And then, of course, spending is the other part. Making sure spending is in line, you're not spending too much. But again, we have more problems with people not spending enough than spending too much. That's just been uh, my experience over the years. And uh, speaking of planning for the future, another difficult conversation, and you touched on this, is what happens when one or both partners pass away. So what are some things people should discuss when it comes to planning for their estate? I think having a plan in place is the first thing that needs to be discussed. And only half the people that contact us through radio or through our podcast here have a proper will in place and or power of returning. And so that's one of the first questions I ask, actually, in that initial call with people saying it's not just about where your accounts, how much do you have? It's about your family. You know, what are your wishes long term? Do you have a will? Do you have a power of attorney? Who would be the executor of your will? Those kinds of questions need to be answered. And do you have any insurance coverage as well? Because there could be tax implications later on as well, especially when the second spouse passes. And there's some sort of insurance strategies that you can use that can reduce the amount of tax that your beneficiaries are going to have to pay in that final year. And so, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I can recognize that some people do not have everything as organized as they need to be because I'm dealing with the age group of 60 to 90, 95 for so long. And so, again, referring them to the right lawyer, again, doing the financial plan first is really important, too, because having a financial plan done, at least with us, there's no like added costs or anything as part of the service that, that we do for clients. And, and I feel it's vital, especially in retirement. And so from that financial plan, you're going to be able to see, you know, what is your estimated estate tax at the end of your days? Or how much money in today's dollars would you have in 20 years from now? These are questions you usually could not answer on your own. And so by having that information allows you to properly decide who the beneficiaries are. How much do you want percentage-wise each person to receive? And taking that into account, when you go to finally see the lawyer, you're going to have your thoughts organized and uh, it will end up costing you less by the time you go see the lawyer who charges hourly. So the financial plan is vital and do it first before you actually go to the lawyer to get the actual will created as well as the power of attorney. And it's important that the legacy planning decisions have to be made together. And again, this goes back to the communications point that you have to be open and honest in your communications because what ends up happening is then it might fall to members of the family to make these decisions for you during what is already a very stressful and difficult time. Well, definitely other family members making those decisions or the government making those decisions. You want to make sure that you have control over the future destiny of your estate. And you can only do that by preparing early on, even though those conversations are a bit uncomfortable. No one really likes talking about death and so on. But if you have assets, it is so important that you make sure that it's organized and it goes to who, who you want it to go to with the least amount of tax possible. So I think that's also important. And one other topic here I would say is talking with your partner about retirement, John. As people prepare to retire, I, I think there's some discussions that need to be had because not everybody's view on retirement is the same as their spouse. And this is where some of those questions that you'd like to or that I recommend that you start asking 
early on, uh, not the day you retire. It's better to plan. Again, I'm a planner. <laughs> if, if, if you couldn't tell already, I love to plan, John. I love Excel spreadsheets. I love making notes. Um, you know, but, but I do encourage others to do the same. But, uh, some of those questions would be, you know, when, when do we want to retire? When, when do I want you to retire? You know, is also the question. A lot of husbands actually make this comment to me going, yeah, you know, I plan to retire in two years, but I'm not sure my wife wants me home that much. <laughs> And so I've heard that many times. But what lifestyle do we want to live? Like some people want to simplify their life. So we've seen a lot of people downsizing here in Vancouver because real estate has obviously skyrocketed. And taking that money and moving somewhere else, like the Okanagan or the island or wherever their heart desires, somewhere that's a little bit cheaper. And, you know, their quality of retirement may, in fact, be improved that way. What are our financial priorities? I think what falls under that is, do we want to help our adult children with their first home, real estate? That's a conversation I see a lot, as I mentioned, but also grandchildren and post-secondary school. That's where I also see people questioning, should I give a little bit, that sort of thing? How will we pay for these things when we retire? So often people are asking, where am I going to get my income from? I, I think that's probably one of the top questions besides, do I have enough? And that's, again, what a financial plan helps with. Should you be taking money from a corporation or a holding company if you have those or a joint account? Or should you be deregistering money from your RSP early or taking more from your RIF? Uh, again, your tax-free savings account, you should try not to touch until you pass away because it can be rolled over to any beneficiary tax-free. So again, I always talk about the different buckets people have in terms of accounts and where your income should be coming from. That, again, is a conversation that we have with many couples. And what kind of legacy do you as a partnership or couple want to leave? What's important to you? Is charity important to you? And if so, which charities? Because you can also leave assets to a charity in your will. And how will we handle any unexpected expenses? And again, that is more of a conversation of, of what those expenses could be. And sometimes that involves uh, helping adult children get on in their lives and so on. And I think that's where a lot of the unexpected expenses come from, John, is uh, from kids, <laughs> is what I've seen. But again, you know, if you have to repair a roof, get a renovation, repair the cabin, whatever it might be, and that's something that you should be discussing with each other, but also with your financial advisor of any possible future spending needs. Okay, so let's wrap this up. So how can a financial advisor help people navigate these conversations, especially with couples who perhaps for one reason or another don't enjoy talking about money with each other? Well, I think, again, having a good financial team or portfolio manager that you can lean on that is personable, that can be in these conversations, make them somewhat light, not so serious that it makes one spouse feel uncomfortable. Again, you want a team that can talk in a language that you understand for sure. And what's vital, again, is having that financial plan and having both people present for that financial plan. So they don't have to be involved in every portfolio review when we're talking about markets or performance, because for some people it may not interest them and they rely on the spouse that's kind of managing things. But in a financial plan, that is kind of your future goals as a couple and what you're looking forward to in retirement and what your spending is going to look like. And so that does involve both parties. And so both should be there for those meetings. And so we really encourage that. And I would say 99% of the time, both spouses are there for the financial plan. And also having those conversations with your financial advisor, what would happen if one or both of you would pass away? 
in many of the cases that we have, and unfortunately we deal with this often because of the age group that we're working with, just to make sure that you know we understand who the beneficiaries are of their estates, what their wishes are. We talk a lot about that. A lot of people actually have recommended that their adult children come to us or they actually have accounts with us. So that transition is seamless. The way that we view clients is on a family basis. We want the whole family to be taken care of, not just the parents who have money, but also the adult children, whether they do or don't, and any grandchildren, RESPs. Again, when it's all in, under one umbrella, it's much easier to uh, make that transition. So again, what's vital here and what's so important, being able to have open conversations about finances with your spouse. If you find that a little bit difficult, then bringing in a third party such as a trusted advisor in one field or another that can kind of really motivate you to to have more conversations so that things are much more seamless throughout retirement and after. Great advice, as always. All right, before we leave, we like to have uh, a quote that kind of wraps it all up. So what do you have for us this week? Love your partner more than you love your career, hobbies, and money. That other stuff can't love you back, John. Ah, perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Exactly. So money is important, but your partner is even more important. Let's put it that way. Indeed. All right. Thanks for this. Always great to talk with you, and we will do this again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, John. It was a great Ready, Set, Retire again today, and I appreciate your time. I look forward to chatting again in a couple of weeks. That's all for this week's edition of Ready, Set, Retire. If you're interested in learning more or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pinkowski Wealth Management, 604-695-LORI, 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening and join us again in two weeks for another edition of Ready, Set, Retire.